Okay, good morning, everybody. We are transitioning into a new phase. I've been talking about the doctrine of the apostles and devotion to the apostles' teaching as a means of grace. Been doing that for months. And we're as we're sliding toward the end of that, we're transitioning into fellowship. Okay? The next thing in Acts 2.42. I don't know how far we'll get toward the fellowship aspect today, but I have it on my slide here. But we're going to so do a transition from the Word of God to fellowship. And then there's a lot of material in the New Testament about fellowship that I'm more than excited to share with you. Let me read the first verse we're going to cover, and then we'll pray. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with a teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Okay, there is 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've provided the truth of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may obtain godliness or true piety as an outcome of faith in your means of grace. And Lord, may we avoid the pitfalls that are warned against in this and other passages so that our faith may be grounded in that which is pure and holy and eternal and not in the shifting sands of the wisdom of man. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here we have the idea of piety, and I wanted you to see from, especially the pastoral epistles, but elsewhere in the New Testament, that the New Testament recognizes true piety. It's a good thing but also warns against pietism and false piety. So since both things exist, in fact, both are mentioned in this one section of Scripture, the true and the false, it is important for us to identify the difference between the two, the true godliness. Another translation of the same word from the Greek, Eusebia, which means godliness or piety, or in some contexts is translated religion. It's all the same word, all right? What's the true? What's the false? What's the difference? And how can we grow in the true? And I'm going to affirm and assert and claim that the word of God believed and practiced according to the author's intent 
will lead to true piety or godliness. And I am also, furthermore, going to claim that the wisdom of man, which is grounded in something other than the teaching of Christ and his apostles, will lead to other things, namely a false piety that will be characterized by disputes, arguments, and quarreling, envy, and so forth. And I will, by God's grace, hopefully show you how and why. So here we go, and I'm honored to be able to teach this. I will tell you, I spent a lot of time studying this, and uh, particularly from the Greek. First of all, let's analyze the grammar of the verse and, and then look at some of the meanings of words and see what we can learn. We have an if-then construction. Eric has talked about that quite often. Remember the if-then? If, da-da-da-da-da, then. And then there's various versions of that. Now, in this particular case, we have what's known as a first-class conditional. And if you remember, a first-class conditional means that the if clause is asserted by the author as being true or assumed to be true. Okay? So it says, if anyone teaches other doctrines does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus, then he's conceded. The assumption here is that there are those who do this, and thus the if is a condition of reality, and the then is the consequent of that sort of thing. And I think we can see in church history and contemporary issues that that's exactly the case. That when we depart from the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Christ and his apostles, into heterodoxy, we'll look at the Greek there, then we shall have troubles, disputes, arguments, envying, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement. Now, you might wonder why, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay? And let's go back and consider the alternative to heterodoxy. The alternative is the doctrine of Christ. All right? The alternative is the doctrine of Christ. We have claimed for months, in fact, in my case, for years, that the rock-solid foundation of the church is Christ, and the teaching of the church is to be his teaching, his words, which are also taught by his authorized apostles. Now, when you depart from that, you depart to something. Okay? And here's what happens. When you depart from the doctrine of Christ, you are denying sola scriptura, 
all right? And now you have church authorities taking the place of Christ and his apostles, whether it be in a small world of, say, a little charismatic church with a prophet or an apostle or whatever, or in a big world of a denomination, in any regard, you've departed from the authority of Christ and his apostles. And when that happens, then it's impossible to have the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer. Then it's impossible to judge prophecy because the church prelate says thus and thus and thus, and you're the saint, you just go do what you're supposed to do. You can't judge it. And that will always lead to the abuse of the flock by its very nature. But if you have the sound doctrine of Christ and his apostles, and we train the flock in the study of scripture, then any of the the lowliest saint in the church can judge the highest authority on the grounds of scripture alone. What an interesting week I had uh, in a good way, in a lot of ways, first a report of a conversion, and then a couple that escaped out of a pietist group, one of the more hyper-pietist groups in America. They escaped from it, and they escaped to the gospel. But this right here would be what they experienced. The leaders were the prophets of God and spoke for God, And if you questioned them, you would come under severe chastisement, shunning everything under the sun, because you couldn't correct them with the authority of Scripture. And it's amazing. I had lunch. I had coffee with them and spent a couple hours just hearing their story. I have a similar story from the 70s. Some of the false teachings that I left in 1979, 80 are still out there. And sometimes the simplest, obvious teaching of the scripture can blow up an entire false teaching group. Let me give you an example. This one, these people said it's still out there. In the 70s, our leader, Jack Winter, claimed to come up with this new revelation called the Ministry of the Father's Love. And I was living there in that particular commune when that happened. And he started saying he got a revelation from God about the ministry of the Father's love. Well, I happen to know, because I was living there, that he got that from a psychological book written by a psychologist from Denver. (laughs) And then a a little bit later, it was a revelation. It was based on the psychological theory that people's understanding of the Father was determined psychologically by what kind of a father they had when they were growing up. And that that could be mitigated or changed by direct ministry from this guy, Jack Winter, and that would give the father's love and impart it directly to the individual, and then they could overcome their negative father's image. And so I was starting to question things. I've been there five years, and here's the very, very simple biblical truth. They refuted that. And something clicked in me, go back to the scripture. 
And here's the verse that I cited to refute that. And I was just a dumb kid as far as they were concerned. Car mechanic. But I did preach. I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's what I said. And that was threatening to blow up the entire ministry. They shipped Diane and I and Jessica, and she was pregnant with Colin, off to Martinsville to get straightened out. Now, they didn't come back and say, oh, here's proof from Scripture for the ministry of the Father's love, because they didn't have any. And the simple idea that we come to the Father through the Son was a threat to everything they were doing. Now, you would have thought that whole thing would have gone away, but it did not. I talked to this couple Friday. It is still out there. That false teaching is still floating around. Now, look at this. If anyone teaches other doctrine does not agree that sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's obviously the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's all we needed to know. But they weren't going by the authority of Scripture. They were going by the authority of the church leaders. And if the leader says the Father's love ministry, then that's all we need to know. There is the conflict. There is the watershed. There's the watershed. You end up over here or you end up over here. Authority of Scripture to priesthood of every believer. The lowliest Christian, which I was, I had no authority. I wasn't an elder. I just said, no one goes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. It's not complicated. I didn't have a Bible college education. Dear beloved brothers and sisters, you don't have to be deceived. This couple that I met with escaped from a pietistic group by something just as simple as that. And some simple, basic biblical truth will save you from wasting your life. Let's go on here. Let's stay with this passage. If anyone teaches other doctrine, their word for other doctrine is heterodidascaleo, or heterodoxy, teaching that which is hetero, other. Orthodoxy would be teaching the doctrine of Christ. Let's see if our mic works. Brian, could you read, look up and read 2 Timothy 1.13? I hope to convince you that this is simple enough that every one of you can do this. And you don't have to feel like it's impossible or that you're inadequate. That's not my point. Okay, 2 Timothy 1.13, Brian. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Okay, retain the standard of sound words. So is there such a thing as a standard of sound words? Where is it found? In the scripture. Is it found in church creeds? No. 
Is it found in the words of the local prophet if you're in that movement? No. It's found in Scripture alone. We must literally and actually practice Scripture alone. All right? Retain the standard of sound words. As I was sharing with that blessed couple, we were going back to Luther, and how did he ever overcome this mammoth, gigantuous movement, the Roman Catholic Church? And how did he stand up against everybody and say, unless you convince me with Scripture and sound reason, here I stand. We're justified by Christ alone. Where did he stand? On Scripture. That he wasn't killed was a miracle of God's providence, that he was escaped with his life. One man could stand against the entire stream of world and church history and based on Scripture alone say that we are justified by faith alone. That we have the justice, or the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Here I stand. Now we have emergent attacking that idea. Brian McLaren quoted what Luther said, and said those are the first words of modernity. And modernity and the Enlightenment are the enemies as far as emergence is concerned because there's the assumption that we can actually know what's true. There's the assumption that the author determines the meaning of the scripture, not the reader. Luther assumed that he could read the scripture and it meant something and it meant the same thing to the Catholic prelates whether they wanted to listen to it or not. Emergence says that's absurd, arrogant, what have you. It's just modernity. This dear couple was saying that a lot of the people they know that escaped out of this pietist group landed in emergent or Rome, not in the gospel. Pray for these people. They wanted to serve God. They wanted to be cutting edge. They wanted to be the best Christians you could be. And when they saw that the emperor has no clothes, as the story goes, they left but didn't know where to go to. My dear brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now this morning where you can go to. The simple gospel of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Retain the standard of sound words. There is a standard. They are sound words. They did come from Christ and his apostles. Retain those and be exercised in them and learn them and understand them. Oh, you may not think that some terrible thing would happen to you where you'd be deceived, but we shouldn't be so sure of that, that we don't keep up our guard. And that's what Paul is saying. Mounts in his commentary, the word commentary on this, it says this, the two phrases sound words about Christ and teaching according to godliness are synonymous. The first emphasizing the content of the proclamation and the second, the effects of the proclamation. 
Paul's gospel, which produces true godliness. He's parenthetically on Eusebia, godliness, see a comment elsewhere, but I've been talking about that, stands in contrast to the opponent's false teaching, which, as Paul will say, is foolishness and produces a sickly craving for speculations and empty words. So here's a synonymously parallel set of phrases. The sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that promotes piety, to use that translation. They're the same. Now you know. I remember Paul Harvey when I was a kid. Now you have the rest of the story. (laughs) That was in the 60s. What did Jesus say about this? Let's turn to Matthew 7, 26 and 27. Excuse me, Matthew 7, 26 and 27. I don't know what I said. Matthew 7, 26 and 27. Let's see what our Lord said. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Those poor people that fled from the pietistic group landed in emergent in Rome or nowhere at all. Not even as believers. That's a sad story I heard Friday. One dear couple landed in the gospel. We have to build on the rock. And the rock is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given teaching his words, not just the red letters, the teaching of the apostles. This one I used in a debate with Doug Padgett, emergent leader, John 12, 48. In fact, I'm supposed to have people read this. Dan, would you read one? John 12, 48. One of the things you'll find in these false groups, particularly the emergent type, is that they deny future judgment. They may agree with everything else and actually sound Christian, but when it comes to the final judgment, that's where they, they're out. Nope, no final judgment. No heaven and hell. There's a heaven, but no hell. And no judgment seat of Christ, and there's nothing that happens for individuals. <clears throat> Forget the book with names in it, which are persons' names. Everything's group. Okay, John twelve forty eight. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Yeah, that is absolutely profound. I, I don't know if you can see this or having debated an emergent leader. This flies in the face of everything they believe. Number one, they believe the reader determines the meaning of Scripture. And the reader can't be an individual. It has to be a group. Okay? The Bible is she and is one of the members of the group. And the group says, well, this means this to me. This makes me feel this way. This, this is a nice thing. And around and around, and then they go to the next one. Ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. The author, in this case, John, who has the words of Jesus doesn't determine a meaning. But here is the salient point. If the words that Jesus has spoken 
will be our judge on the last day. Don't you think we need to be able to understand that? It's not some obscure, socially constructed reality that could mean anything to anybody. It means what it says. Its meaning is comprehensible and it's binding. And on that last day, we can say, well, I didn't want to listen to Jesus. I went and did it my way. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. When you debated Doug Pageant, he wouldn't even agree with the fact that there would be a final judgment. I knew that. That's why I kept going to it. I've been reading this book. I'm going to write an article about The Coming of the Cosmic Christ by Matthew Fox. It has everything we believe in it. This totally new age, the book. It's from the 80s, but it's seminal. But I started reading. I thought, man, this guy knows more theology than most Christians. He knows the facts about Christ, and he talks about the virgin birth. The, well, he, he believes that if it's interpreted cosmically or panentheistically, but here's what is not in the book. Final judgment. I looked at the index. I read the book twice. I took notes. Not a word about final judgment. You can delete the final judgment grounded on the words of Christ and his apostles, applied to individuals. N.T. Wright, remember group justification? We were talking about that Friday. You can have everything under the sun, but if you have a final judgment of individuals that's based on their relationship to Christ through the gospel with a heaven and a hell as two different destinations that are real, you have just blown up post-modernity. You've destroyed emergent. You've flown in the face of panentheism everything from the pagan version to the Christian version. Matthew Fox has no final judgment. Neither does Doug Paget or Tony Jones or Rob Bell. So John 12, 48. I remember when I said that when you have here the sound teaching and then the disputes and quarrels of the false teachers, sometimes the simplest idea blows up the entire false system. Like in Luther's case, the, the imputed righteousness of Christ, justification by faith. In this case, it's the final judgment. Uh, you want to bring the mic over to Peter, William? Yes. So the issue is for the postmodern and, and emergent is they just have trouble with objective truth? Well, there's... Among other things. They have trouble believing that the scriptures are the very words of God and that the author determines the meaning. And, and they would accuse somebody like me of just horrid arrogance. You think you can read the Bible and know what it means and then preach it to somebody else. And Doug Padgett told me, how dare you get behind a pulpit and tell people what the Bible means? Aren't you full of hubris? And I said, how do you know my motives are bad? Maybe I really believe that these are the words of God that will bring salvation to the hearers. 
And maybe I love the people and I want to give them the tools they need to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. You don't know I have bad motives. Remember Paget's book, he has a mega, he shows a picture of a guy with a megaphone yelling at a young lady and she's going like this to get away from it. That's their caricaturization of preaching. So when I heard Friday that these people escaping from a hyper pious group, actually it was IHOP down in Kansas City, just so you know, they, this couple escaped from it. And they said a lot of their friends landed in emergent, in Catholicism and mysticism, and have despair that they could know. What was wrong with the group? Well, the words of the prophets trumped the words of Christ and his apostles. They wouldn't admit it. I'll bring the mic back to Eric. And so uh, I thank God for this couple. One of the ways they got out was finding an article on our website on pietism. Yes. Bob, that uh, John twelve forty eight is seminal. It's so an, such an important verse. The words that Christ spoke are going to be our judge, so therefore we must be able to know those words. And, you know, try this one. Next time you're dealing with an emergent or a postmodern, tell them to go to the waitress after they get the bill. Let's say it's nine ninety five for the hamburger. And go up to the cash register and just say, well, that's only your interpretation. That's you know, your reality. That's Mindset. your reality. It says and see how far it gets. Yeah. And what's so interesting is you'll have the waitress who goes to a postmodern church and she'll demand the 995 because she can know truth and you can understand language. But then she'll go to church and all of a sudden language goes out the window and who can really understand it? Yeah. And Bob, explain uh, how Schaefer warned us about that yeah. and throwing it up. I was in the just thinking story. about it. Francis Schaefer is the antidote in a lot of ways to this as far as people who have taught that we know scripture itself is the real antidote. He called that a bifurcation or the upper and lower story. You throw your religion into one thing that doesn't really touch the real world. Then you go out in the real world where you have your job and act like language is valid. Comes to the scripture, it's the little engine that couldn't. I think we can't, I think we can't, I think we can't. We can't know, we can't know, we can't know, we can't know. But it comes to the same person may go and be an engineer and do calculations about the stress factor of the beams going into a building and get it right. Because you can know, and it does work in the real world. So I talked about that in my book. Now let's look at this. If anyone teaches other doctrine does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. The baseline is the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we have claimed, his teaching is also the teaching of the apostles of Christ, whom he appointed and inspired to teach us. Towner in the New International Commentary in the New Testament says that the intention of the additional genitive phrase is far more likely to ascribe the origin and consequently authority of the teaching to Jesus. The full appellation, our Lord Jesus Christ, anticipates 614, where Jesus' final appearance and his authority as judge established the framework for Timothy's devotion. Here it underlines the absolute authority of the instructions given by Paul. There, this uh, Dr. Towner points further into this chapter 
for the final appearing in judgment. I conclude that we must preach the final judgment or we are doing a disservice to our listeners. And when we're witnessing, we better not leave that out. Now we have a, in the Greek here, kata means according to the teaching, the idea that produces Eusebia, piety. If I want to see piety as the outcome, I'll teach sound doctrine. Oh, this flies in the face of the modern ethos, solitude and silence and spiritual disciplines. But the Bible says that sound doctrine understood rationally according to the meaning of the author will produce godliness. This is the claim of Scripture. I'm not making this up. It's not believed, it's not taught, not practiced, but it's what the Scripture says. Sound doctrine produces true piety. False doctrine produces pride and confusion. Conceit is a word that means to be puffed up. Yes, Dina. Well, with regard to other doctrine, I find it so ironic that the emergents chastise us for teaching doctrine, but they insist that we accept their teachings, which are what? Doctrine. Yeah, Yeah. I I know. See, I've heard that before. In the 80s, when I first started looking into how you can land where you're supposed to in the gospel, I had a pastor's meeting, and people were saying, these pastors were saying, well, we don't want doctrine coming from our pulpit. It'll dry people up and make them dead. I said... Okay, so you don't want doctrine. Uh, Do you have a pulpit? Yeah. Do you have a person that stands behind it? Yes. Do you have words spoken like in a sermon from the pulpit? Yes. They're saying something. Yes. Then you have doctrine. (laughs) Don't tell me you don't have any doctrine. It may not be biblical doctrine, but it simply means, in the Greek, teaching. Now, what happens now? Let's shift this, okay? We have Christ and his apostles, sound words, taught in Scripture, according to the author's intent. Now, let's shift over to the other groundwork, the teachings of man. Humans, whether they claim to be apostles or prophets, revelators, church prelates, whatever... I have something that originates from themselves. It doesn't come from Christ and his apostles. It comes from themselves. They may claim a revelation or whatever. Now, here's the problem. Now you shift to a different groundwork, the teachings of man. If so, if you don't agree with the sound doctrine of Christ, it says here he is conceited. Okay, so it's pride. There's no greater place of power is to claim to speak for God directly in an unmediated way. I claim to speak for God. You better listen to me because I'm me. That's conceit. I'm not really saying that, by the way. (laughs) Sick interest in disputes and arguments. Why do you get the disputes and arguments? Because you're no longer interpreting Christ and his apostles. You're interpreting the words of man from church history. And they weren't the foundation to start with. So you're spinning your wheels. You're stuck in the mud. 
From this comes envy, quarreling, slander, suspicions, constant disagreement. Why? Because they have the doctrine of men, not the doctrine of Christ. You might say, well, people still dispute what Christ said. But you know what? You have a baseline to go back to that's inerrant and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that would be the scripture itself. And sometimes, as I said earlier, the answer is simple. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke will be his judge in the last day. You don't need to go get a PhD in theology to understand that. Jesus spoke and his words are going to be my judge. There is a last day judgment and I'm going to be on the wrong side of it unless I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not hard. You can know that. You can interpret that. You can preach that. You can hold to that. Don't buy into this, the little engine they couldn't thing they throw out there at you. You can know and you can understand. But when it comes to the words of the prophets or the words of man or the words of the church rather than those of Christ, you end up with quarreling slander, disagreement, anger. I'll tell you what, these people who claim to speak for God, when you cross them, they become violently angry. The wrath of man comes out. Why? Because they think they speak for God directly and you question them. If you question them, you question God. But if I'm teaching scripture and somebody questions that I just, hopefully by God's great grace, patiently explain, maybe I didn't explain it right. Here's what the scripture says. The Bible says the wrath of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. That's in James. Imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Now, one more factor here, and that is how false teachers get rich. If somebody's foundation is their own teaching, directly inspired or wherever it comes from, you can't get it anywhere but by them. And when they have a corner on it, they can charge you a lot of money for it. People have become impoverished at the hands of false religions and false teachers. Many times it's about the money. Now, the simple truth of the gospel, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I can't get a patent on that and then sell it. It's the free gift of God. And we offer the free gift of God. And they don't even need us to get it. If I claim you can only get this from me, then you know there's something wrong with it. They have a false piety that benefits them financially by bringing in followers whose money can be obtained by the false teachers. I've heard the stories from many here and many elsewhere who when they finally escaped from one of these groups, they had been impoverished by the group. They always want your money. Let's go to Colossians. Pietism promotes false piety. This group down there in Kansas City claimed to be the most pious group in the whole world. They pray 24 hours a day. They praise 24 hours a day. I'm thinking about my conversation Friday with these dear saints. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on. This isn't from God. This isn't right. 
This isn't what the scripture says. This isn't the gospel. And the whole thing is radically changed. All right. Now let's look at Colossians 2, 20 to 22. If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces, that's the stoichia of the, this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Now, dear saints, look at this. The same issue as we saw in Timothy. You have Messiah, and you have the teachings of men, the commands of men. According to this scripture, the commands of men, I have two circled. It's not very, it's not very geometrically centered. Hey, I'm new. <laughs> Get the idea. Kata, according to. The amazing thing is that the stoichia, the hostile powers, are the source of the doctrine that purports to fight them. When I was in the deliverance ministry in the 70s, I was guilty of this. I had to repent of it. I've written articles to try to make things right because I was in sin by teaching false doctrine. I told people that if they had anything that was less than perfect in their life, the demons were going to get them. So we would cast the demons out, and then they'd come back a week later, troubled by demons, and say, well, what did you do? Well, there was always some sin, which would be true of anybody. Well, I went on the bus and lusted after a, a, a woman on the bus. Well, no wonder you let the demons back in. And on and on and on and on, and they never had any hope. And they never really got free. But then you have your way to keep the demons from getting you. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I'm not saying we should lust. I'm not saying that at all. But I, I'm saying we should, concerning our sin, as Paul lamented covetousness in Romans 7, we look to Christ for cleansing and forgiveness. And this abusive teaching that I was guilty of made the Lord forgive me. That unless you are sinlessly perfect, you're nearly so, the demons will get you. Is very, very harmful to persons who believe that worldview. We have another conditional sentence. If you died with Messiah, if as is the case, we have a first class conditional to the elemental forces. Oh, no, literally, I got that wrong. To is from. From. So you died from them. That's how you escaped. You, died, you escaped from them in Christ. Excuse me. Correction here. I don't have the Greek sitting here in front of me, but I'm sure it was from. You died, you died from, away from. Then, why do you live as if you belong to the world? Okay, these are just the shadow. They're not the reality. And we cannot escape from Satan and the demons by severe treatment of the body or asceticism. 
In Colossians 2.8, it says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the stoichia of the world and not based on Christ. Again and again, Paul prescribes as the antidote to false forms of godliness, false piety, the doctrine of Christ, not based on Christ. Now look at what it says here. The verse says more literally, why are you being dogmatized? Why do you submit to regulations? Literally, it says in the Greek, why are you being dogmatized? Dogmatizo is the Greek. Isn't that a cool word? From that, we get our English word dogmatic. But why are you being dogmatized? You see, the false teachers who get their ideas from the stoichia are absolutely dogmatic. And as I said before, if you disagree with them or correct them, you will get the most angry, hateful, spiteful, virulent reaction that you can possibly imagine. See, they are used to whole multitudes of people being docile and listening to whatever they say. When you challenge them, they don't take that kindly because they really don't believe in the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer. So who are you, little nobody, to question the Pope uh, to Peter? Bob, for our guests, can you uh, define stoichia? Stoichia is literally the Greek word here, and it has different meanings depending on the context. It can mean the ABCs, the elements, earth, wind, and fire, as they believed it back then. It can be the basic elements. It can be the ABCs of religion. Or, as Clinton Arnold showed in his marvelous seminal work on this, the Colossian syncretism, it can mean the hostile powers. Arnold showed, I believe conclusively, that in Asia Minor, they were afraid of the stoichia, and they did many things to protect themselves from bad fate caused by these demonic powers. They had these medallions that they'd wear around their neck to have Greek inscriptions that would have the name of angels. Okay, so when it talks about angel worship, it's probably referring to that. They called on angels or other intermediaries to protect them from the hostile powers that caused bad fate. Now, Paul in Colossians is preaching the supremacy of Christ. That in Christ, we are not subject to the hostile powers. And that's what we'll be preaching as we preach Christ. Here's the kata. Now, to there means from. It says in the last verse here, or the last sentence, all these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Literally, according to the commands and doctrines of men, there's our kata. Colossians 2.8 said the philosophy was according to the stoichia. Verse 22 says 
The doctrine is a man. That's where the source of this is. Men who are under the hostile powers or the strike, he have made themselves false lawgivers and promised freedom from bondage. Instead, they put people into bondage. Every society that believes in the spirit realm, which is just about everyone, other than atheist Marxist Russia back in the day, but the folk religions are hard to stomp out, all believe in spirits. Wherever tribal religion or folk religion exists, there also universally exists a class of priests or prophets that we can, in a bigger term, call shamans who are better than most at interacting with the spirit world and they mediate between the spirits and the people. They're also called witch doctors. So if you had problems... If you had a sickness harming your herd of animals, you'd go to the shaman to devise a a scheme to avert bad fate caused by the stoichia. And in their case, they had these amulets or medallions with angel names to scare away the bad fate. They are the doctrines of men. I hope, if I have done nothing else in the last six to nine months here, have shown you that devotion to the apostles' teaching is indeed a means of grace. And the groundwork, the foundation, the rock, is to listen to these words of mine. Christ is the teacher that we must listen to and his appointed apostles. These regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. Peter, could you read Matthew fifteen seventeen through 20? This was mentioned by Jesus himself. Can you become more spiritual by regulating things like your diet? You might become more healthy. You might be able to get a smaller belt. Oh, yeah, Brian, I don't know about that one. He said at the State Fair they have a deep-fried cheeseburger. (laughs) Then Peter answered. (laughs) Go ahead. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth, goes into the stomach, and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Right. Therein lies the real problem. According to Jeremiah 17, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God does. Only God can change our heart and change us from the inside out. Only God can sanctify us. Only God can deliver us. Only God can protect us from evil. The Lord's Prayer says, Rescue us from the evil one. I'm giving you a literal translation. 
May God rescue us from the evil one. The evil one always attacks the gospel. Always. At issue is the gospel. Colossians 2.23. These, now it's going back to the man-made doctrine, the doctrines of men that have their source from the stoichia. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety. Now, as we saw earlier, there's a true godliness or piety that comes from the doctrine of Christ, believed and obeyed. And then there's a false piety that comes from the doctrines of men who would impose their own ideas. These have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are no value in checking self-indulgence. Some might say, well, why would false teachers practice severe treatment of the body? Hey, they have for centuries. Look at the monks. Look at the Tibetan Buddhists. Didn't Luther even he tried that, but it didn't do him any good. And he had landed in justification by faith. This group, these couple that escaped from a pietist group that I, that, that I was mentioning earlier that I spoke with, they had a very rigorous and severe program that they had to submit to. For They'd been there for 12 years. And they escaped by a very, very simple scripture. Very, very simple, as I was saying earlier. God will use the basic truth of the gospel and the scriptures to save you from spiritual ruin. Don't think it's too small a thing to believe what God said through Christ and his apostles. Don't take it too lightly. Now, what is this appearance of wisdom? These refers back to the teachings of the doctrines of men. Human tradition learned by rote. Okay, human tradition learned by rote. The word here... It's a a long Greek word, but uh, let me quote that from Dr. O'Brien. The term has to do with fasting and other bodily rigors. Ascetic practices such as these were a kind of humility technique and regarded as effective for receiving visions of heavenly mysteries. The false teacher's reputation for wisdom was acquired in this sphere also. So someone would stay up all night and have visions of heavenly mysteries. Boy, that strikes home. I was in a group that did that. We had, we'd call an all-night prayer meeting, and then we'd be up all night, and people in the morning would gather and have amazing revelations and visions. But you know, when you uh, stay awake and you have enforced sleeplessness, you're literally using a technique to get into an alpha brain wave level, which is sort of your dreamy state, and you start dreaming awake. Now, one of the things that we used to hear was that your dreams are meaningful and somebody has to interpret them. And then they have some scripture that they twist to prove that. And I tell people, ignore your dreams. Ignore them. They have words for people who live according to their dreams that they remember. Well, let's use a technical term. Crazy. (laughs) 
I went to college to learn that. <laughs> Forget it. It doesn't mean anything. Don't eat that pizza before you go to bed. <laughs> but they think, take this seriously, severe treatment of the body. It says here, it tells us right now, they are no value in checking self-indulgence. O'Brien says again, quoting him, they aim and goal pros toward all of their efforts, the observance of the strict regulations, the reverence and respect paid to the principalities and powers was satisfaction. But all that was satisfied was the flesh. Did you know the flesh is spiritual? Oh, yes. Remember in Galatians, the works of the flesh, one of which is sorcery, pharmaceuticals. Their energetic religious endeavors could not hold the flesh in check. Quite the reverse, these man-made regulations actually pandered to the flesh. One of the shocking things that happened in the 70s when it was popular to be part of such a group, which I was, was the scandals that would happen, the moral scandals having to do with sexuality. Because you see, this really doesn't deliver us from some of our baser desires. And may God help us not to fall in. Yes? understand what you're saying about don't run your life by your dreams but there's meaningful dreams in scripture right by by god's ordained prophets okay like daniel and we make a distinction between those who are appointed by god the prophets under the old testament and the apostles under the new and what's beyond scripture now If you want to make a decision based on a dream and it's not a sinful decision, you're free to do it, but don't blame God. You just made your decision. We were talking about that Friday with that couple. Yes. Well, I think it kind of fits in with the dreams or um, with somebody claiming to be a prophet or whatever who's ever speaking for God. But you made a comment earlier that the danger is this unmediated speaking for God. So if you are going with your dreams or a prophet and it's unmediated, that, you know, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. So it is, it, you know, everything you have to kind of go through and who's my mediator or what's my mediator or you're in danger. Well, most of us here have experienced that or we know somebody who has. Our group ended up being totally ruled by one person's dreams. Somebody had a dream, we had to do it. Somebody had a dream, we had to do it. Somebody had a dream, we had to do it. So, my dear brothers and sisters, may I commend you to the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer. There's the baseline where you start when you're trying to get out of something. What has God said? And you have direct access to the throne of grace. You don't need a human mediator. Next week, see this? We're going to talk about religious oaths. Luther dealt with that because he had taken an oath of chastity and then later married. So was he living in sin? Or was he sinning when he took the oath to start with? Come back next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to look into your word. 
May we believe it and practice it in, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.